He had used her new vacuum cleaner to vacuum up the blood and the gristle on the floor. She'd run brothels, she'd exploited her fellow human beings, she had been a vicious and predatory person for most of her life. He died in hospital rather than with a bullet in his head. I'm Andrew Rule. this is Life and Crimes. This week, the Sunday Herald Sun is running a very big story about a very bad man. That man is the late Dennis Mr. Death Allen. Dennis Allen was one of the biggest drug dealers and most prolific murderers and most evil people in the Melbourne underworld for many years before he died of natural causes in 1987. The story that we're running in the Sunday paper has been written by former Melbourne journalist Adrian Tame, who's an expert on the family of Dennis Allen, because he wrote the well-known book The Matriarch about Dennis's mother, Kath Pettengill. Today we're just going to remind listeners a little bit about Kath Pettengill and her family. Kath Pettengill is now an old lady living out her life in a seaside town in South Gippsland. As far as anyone knows, she stayed out of trouble for many years and uh, she lives a quiet life and it would appear that quite a lot of her neighbours have come to like her or at least tolerate her. And those who don't like her and don't tolerate her probably put up with her and don't say anything because she probably still makes some people nervous. I can recall a bit about Kath because many years ago I went down that way to South Gippsland on a book tour promoting a book I'd written and I was to speak at a, a function in a town called Inverloch and I got up to speak and immediately I was heckled by friends of Kath Pettengill who turned up just to hurl insults at me because of material that the press had written about Kath and her family over the years. And it was quite interesting to see that she could raise so many loyal friends and fans in the neighbourhood to turn up at this event, essentially just to heckle me, because to them I represented the hated media. But the reality is that Kath and her family had always really been media creatures. They'd been the centre of media attention for many years. And this goes back well beyond the notorious Wall Street uh, shootings of two young police to the time when Kath's son, Dennis Allen, was the king of crime around inner suburban Melbourne, but particularly around Richmond. And Richmond was really the patch that Kath and her boys dominated in the 70s and 80s. And Kath, who I think had 10 children to many different fathers, perhaps no one knows for sure how many fathers, had distinguished herself around Richmond by running various brothels. And it is alleged that she would pay up cash to corrupt local police in order to be able to run her brothels without interference from the law. And indeed, I know one policeman who was a young policeman back in those days, whose first job out of the academy was to go to Richmond. And he's standing at the desk in the office at the Richmond police station, the old police station, when this tough-looking old bird with one good eye and one glass eye strides into the place swearing, demands to see Sergeant X or Y, and when Sergeant X or Y turned up, pulls out a big bundle of notes and hands it to him, swears at somebody and disappears. And 
no one took any notice of this. And he said, who is that? And they said, oh, that's just Kath. She just comes in on Tuesdays to pay. None of Kath's sons were angels. But by far the worst was the guy we've already mentioned, Dennis Bruce Allen, who, in fact, frightened even his own mother. It's believed that he murdered somewhere between five and a dozen people. He also built up a drug-dealing empire over several years, which earned him about $70,000 a week back in the 1980s. This was a staggering amount. And I think regular listeners will recall that we've spoken about Dennis Allen before and may recall the story told to me by an absolute impeccable source who was an insider, someone who'd been a legal representative of people associated with Allen. And he told me that he once saw Allen produce an envelope full of cash. In the envelope was $14,000. This lawyer said to Dennis Allen, why 14000 Why not a round figure like ten or 15 or 20 He said, I'll tell you why. It's $1,000 each for a week for two guys, for two coppers. And that's what it was. That's why it was fourteen. And every week, Dennis Allen in the 1980s was paying two police $1,000 a head a day. And that, perhaps, was being split up between other people. It is an unbelievable insight into a crime racketeer who really got away with running a drug empire and got away with murder for several years. And indeed, you'd expect somebody like Dennis Allen to come to a sticky end. Amazingly, he died of some sort of rare heart failure or organ failure before someone could shoot him or stab him or belt him to death. Probably that failure of his internal organs was brought on by massive drug abuse. But in any case, he died in hospital rather than with a bullet in his head. Most of us are familiar with the outrageous crimes that Dennis Allen committed. We've all heard the story about Dennis Allen cutting off the legs of a bikey, a dead bikey, I might add, with a chainsaw and stuffing the body into a 44-gallon drum, which he then through into the era. We've all heard the stories about Dennis Allen drowning a prostitute that must have crossed him in some way and then and getting one of his underlings to run down to the Yarra, not far from where he was based in Cremorne in Richmond, to get a bucket of Yarra water. And when the bucket of Yarra water was brought back, he carefully tipped it down the throat of the dying prostitute to make it look as if she'd drowned in the Yarra, so that when he threw her body into the Yarra, it would look as if she had fallen in or jumped in of her own volition and either been drowned accidentally or committed suicide, and it wouldn't look like murder. This is the sort of reptile he was. The reason why no one is sure exactly how many people he killed is that he would use those sort of cunning methods. He would use the hotshot. He would get somebody that was a known heroin user that he decided to do away with and if they hadn't paid and he wanted to punish them for not paying by killing them, he would fill a syringe full of pure heroin so that it was much stronger than anything they could withstand and give them a hot shot and they would die of an overdose and that would be that. And that's why no one is sure how many people he actually killed. There is a story told to me by the great VFA footballer Fred Cook that involves that involves one of Australia's greatest rock stars, 
and greatest heroin addicts, Stevie Wright. Stevie Wright, of course, was the singer in the Easy Beats who later went on to a, a big solo career but ended up a hopeless junkie. And it turns out that, that on a trip to Melbourne back in the day, Stevie Wright uh, was hanging out for heroin and he was put in touch with Dennis Allen, who was delighted to supply him with whiskey and heroin. And later on, the person that introduced them, another junkie in Melbourne who hung around the rock and roll scene, managed to inveigle a lot of heroin out of Dennis Allen by saying that Stevie Wright wanted it, Stevie Wright needed it, and that he would pay for it next time down, so on, so on. And Dennis Allen kept giving the heroin on credit, thinking that Stevie Wright was going to pay him. And indeed, Stevie Wright didn't know this was happening and, of course, did not pay him. And so it came to pass that Stevie Wright comes back to Melbourne to perform, I think, at the Village Green Hotel out in the eastern suburbs. And Dennis Allen, upon hearing this, flew into a rage, which he used to do because he used amphetamines himself, and he decided to go out there and put a bullet in Stevie Wright because he'd um, not paid him for several thousand dollars worth of heroin. And he was all set to go and do this when he was talked out of it by the former footballer Fred Cook, who knew Dennis Allen very well. And I know that's a true story because Fred Cook told me himself that he'd talked Dennis Allen out of it. It's one of many stories about what a crazy gunman Dennis Allen was. The sort of crazy gunman who in fact inspired the very riveting Australian film Animal Kingdom. It was Dennis Allen and his brothers and the Wall Street shootings of the two young constables in the late 80s that inspired that film that is fiction but heavily based on Dennis's brothers, Victor Pierce and Trevor Pettengill and others because, of course, they were the ones accused and subsequently acquitted of the Wall Street murders. Anybody who's seen that film, Animal Kingdom, will be struck at the relationship between the mother figure played in the film by Jackie Weaver. In fact, it won her many acting awards, probably deservedly, because she was able to play this mother role of a person who was totally amoral and uh, in many ways evil, and yet in her own twisted way, a very caring mother. And that was squarely based on the character of Kath Pettengill, the woman that was dubbed Granny Evil. Kath Pettengill was a strange mixture of motivations. She'd run brothels, she'd exploited her fellow human beings, she had been a vicious and predatory person for most of her life probably because of you know being brought up in poverty. Her father died in the Middle East in the army uh, in World War II. Her mother was very young and neglected her own children and so on and so forth. And Kath had grown up in very tough circumstances and it did twist her morals and in many ways wreck her life. But although she had all those kids to all those different fathers, she was always fiercely loyal to the kids. And this led to this weird relationship she had with them where she would tolerate monstrous behaviour without any sign of mortification or complaint. And so we have these stories ably told in his book The Matriarch by Adrian Tame of Dennis blowing some guy's brains out, one of his many victims, 
and Kath being angry with Dennis and tearing strips of him, as you do to your, your sons when they do the wrong thing, because he had used her new vacuum cleaner to vacuum up the blood and the gristle and this guy's brains from the floor. This is a very weird thing. It's like something out of a Tarantino film. As Adrian Tame writes, how could she care about the destruction of an inanimate object while remaining seemingly indifferent to the brutal murder of a human being? That's a fair question. And then, as Adrian reminds us, there was the terrible business of the tracksuit trousers. Dennis and his minders were in the process of bludgeoning some innocent youth, almost to death, when Cathy noticed that the victim had nearly new clothing, that is, a tracksuit. And she said to Dennis, save the trousers for Jamie, which was another of her sons. Such callousness, Adrian Tame writes, was tempered only slightly by the additional information that she eventually helped the youth to escape. Again, I quote from Adrian Tame, who has written this excellent piece in this weekend's Sunday Herald Sun about Dennis Allen. And Adrian Tame wrote in his book about Kath Peckingill, there was another side to it that began to emerge. How, at the age of 59, she engaged in a vicious fight with a woman half her age in defence of a frail and elderly victim of prison brutality. Or her decision at the age of 58 to leave the sanctuary of Venus Bay and return to Melbourne to look after three of her young grandchildren for nine months when their parents landed in jail. And then there was the way she would waltz into the opulent reception area of her long-time Melbourne solicitor's office, not waiting to be announced, but hollering, Charlie, I'm here! Where are you? As she passed the gaping receptionist. Am I f***ing not, she responded when I mentioned it. Dennis's fees paid for that for you. And of course it was true. Her son, Dennis Allen, the heroin smuggling king, had spent so much money on lawyers over the years that they'd based their business fairly squarely on him and a lot of their luxurious appointments had been paid for with his filthy drug money. She knew it. And in a sense, she rubbed their noses in it. There are not many things about Kath Pettengill's life and crimes that the average person would find touching, but there is one small anecdote that I do find a little touching. When she was a tiny girl, her father, who was a very young man, enlisted in the army and went away to fight for his country. In uh, World War II, he was sent to the Middle East, which was a very dangerous theatre of war. Many people were killed there. And her father was a clean skin. He wasn't a crook. He was a man who worked for a living. He'd signed up under his own steam. He'd gone over there. And it turned out that he was to die there. And, of course, Kath, this little girl, fatherless child in Melbourne, essentially an orphan because her mother ran off the rails and uh, was really not a very good mother to her. And she and her sister were brought up by their grandmother after one of their other siblings had died of some awful disease. She had an awful upbringing. But one of the things that kept her going as a kid was thinking that her dad, that she missed, had died some sort of hero in the Middle East. And she believed that for decades. She believed it until she was a, a mother herself. And then 
one day, late in life, her sister, who is quite a respectable person, travelled to the Middle East, to Gaza, to find their father's grave and to find out the facts of what had actually happened to him in the army. Now, they'd been told that he'd been killed or he died from some disease. But in fact, as the sister found out all those years later, he'd actually committed suicide. And he committed suicide, they found out, because of the terrible letters that their mother used to send to him. She used to send him hate mail. And that had made this young soldier so depressed that in the heat of war, he had taken his own life. Finding this out absolutely shattered Kath Pettengill, the one shining example of goodness in her family had been taken away. And of all the stories about Kath Pettengill, that one I find touching because she'd shacked up with bad men, she'd had babies to bad men, her sons had grown up to be bad men, most of her daughters weren't much better. And yet she had cherished through all this, this ideal that her father was a brave soldier who'd gone over to fight for his country, only to find out that he was a flawed human being who'd taken his own life. And so it turned out that this one good thing that she'd cherished all her life wasn't true. Thanks for listening. Please comment or rate it on whatever platform you're using. And if you haven't done it already, please subscribe. My name is Manny Karoudis, and I'm a former New South Wales policeman turned investigative reporter with a passion for missing persons cases. I'm here to quickly tell you about our True Crime Australia podcast, The Missing. In this series, I look at old missing persons cases which have all gone cold in an attempt to try and uncover new information which could help see these missing people reunited with their loved ones or any form of clue that could bring these families closure. The Missing is available now wherever you get your podcasts and early and ad-free on Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts.